Hello, my name is Mark Searby and I'm a film critic, broadcaster and author of Al Pacino, The Movies Behind the Man. Thanks for clicking play on episode three of All About Al, the Pacino podcast. On this episode, I talk to screenwriter Roberto Bentevenia about House of Gucci. Released in 2021, directed by Ridley Scott and featuring an all-star cast including Lady Gaga, Adam Driver, Jeremy Irons, Jared Leto, Salma Hayek, Jack Houston, and, of course, Al Pacino. It tells the story of Patrizio Reggiani, a working-class woman who becomes part of the Gucci family when she marries Maurizio Gucci. Her ambition to push the Gucci brand begins to unravel the family legacy and triggers a spiral of betrayal, decadence, revenge, and murder. The film is based on the book The House of Gucci, a sensational story of murder, madness, glamour and greed by Sarah Gay Forden. It was left to screenwriters Becky Johnston and Roberto Bentevenia to bash the 400-page book into a screenplay for director Ridley Scott. You'll hear Bentevenia talk about how he worked closely with Scott on each draft of the screenplay, who he had in mind for the character of Patrizia while it was being written, and what it was like watching Al Pacino recite the dialogue that he had written. In fact, Roberto has some excellent stories about just hanging around with Pacino before and during production, which you'll get to hear in a minute. So here it is, all about Al, the Pacino podcast, episode three, with screenwriter Roberto Bentevenia on House of Gucci. Well, I'm excited to talk to you because when people ask me what the most exciting part of the whole uh, journey was with with um, House of Gucci, I mean, obviously working with Ridley Scott was was you know at the top, um, but on an emotional level, it was definitely uh, it was definitely Pacino. It was definitely getting to know Al and um, and really being uh, brought into his world in a way that I you know I mean I never thought that would be on the on the table you know so it was really kind of uh, a big mile, milestone for me as, as a filmmaker and as a as a fellow sicilian how were you brought <laughs> so let's let's go into it then how were you brought into yeah. his world um so when they cast the role um of course you know it was my, it's my first movie and um i knew I knew sort of my place in the in the ecosystem of the film, uh, and it was basically at the level of an amoeba. <laughs> <laughs> uh, and I say that with uh, no false modesty whatsoever. What I mean is, when you have monsters like Ridley Scott, Jeremy Irons, Al Pacino, Lady Gaga, you know, it's like you you just know you know where you are, you know what your what your place is, and so. Um, I had this kind of idea in the back of my mind that a I would be on set, um, hopefully be on set, because obviously, you know, after trying so many for so many years to get a movie made to finally get one made, you, you want to be there. You want to be uh, a part of the circus and the, and the party. And then the other thing that I kept thinking was, you know, I really hope I have a moment with Al. I hope I have like doesn't matter if it's you know sharing a, a, a croissant. <laughs> 
you know, at the at the crafts table or, you know, whatever. But like, I just hope I have a moment. And um, luckily, there was a lady who worked on the film, this amazing costume designer called Janty Yates. And Janty was a huge fan of the script. And, um, and she was just a, an amazing person. And she could sense that I was, I think I made a, a joke or something about Al. I said, you know, I can't remember, like, is the Pope here? Has the Pope arrived? You know, but um, she knew that I was obviously very keen on it. And so she, um, she said to me, uh, you know, during the costume fittings that they were doing with Al, she said, Al cannot stop talking about the screenplay. He's obsessed. He's like, who the fuck wrote this? Where is he? Can I meet him? This is amazing. And um, and she sort of dangled this uh, this cherry in front of me. She was like, I think I think you should come and meet him, you know, during the fittings. And I thought, oh my god, okay, like how does this work? You know, she said, well, let, let's uh, let me talk to him again, and and uh, and we'll talk, we'll figure it out. And then you know, a couple of days later, she came up to me and she was like, uh, are you free today at four? And this was by by the way, this was before production. This was like a couple of weeks maybe in pre pre-production when everybody was you know getting everything ready and um and so i went over to his trailer and i sat outside waiting and um uh his assistant came out and was like al's ready and it really was like a papal visit and i went in and he was dressed up as aldo um, and he had you know cnn on in the background and Man, I've replayed that moment in my mind because it really was. And I don't want to sound sycophantic. That's the right word, right? Sycophantic, you know. Uh, but there are people that genuinely overwhelm and that you genuinely feel like are, are gods amongst men, especially if you're a filmmaker and especially if you're um, from a small town in Sicily called Corleone, which is where my dad is from. No. Um, Yes, yes, yes. And so that was just this this very cosmic thing. And we immediately hit it off because we started talking about that. And his grandmother, both of his grandparents were from Corleone. Um, and he told me this great anecdote about trying to go there during the shooting of Godfather 3. And uh, the mayor didn't believe him when he called. <laughs> <laughs> he tried to organize a tour and the mayor said, you know, basically he thought he was a prank caller. And so him and Andy Garcia and Diane Keaton just hired a car and went out there and, uh, and they sort of just drove through the town and they had all these strange people looking at them and they drove away. Um, but, you know, the, the main thing about that meeting was just that um, it was wonderful because it was very much like, you know, talking about, about the craft and talking about the script. And um, of course he was, you know, he was jumping into all these amazing anecdotes about John Casale and working with Sidney Lumet and, you know, all these things, but it was really just on a human level. Um, it was fantastic. And, you know, we spent probably like two hours talking in the trailer. Um, and then during the shoot itself, uh, I was just watching him, uh, you know, do this incredible uh, magic trick with the role and with the character, with with the with the script, the dialogue, um, and do a lot of wonderful improvisation and and um, yeah, man, it was just a really it was a huge highlight for me. I mean, it, also because there's that silly quote about you know not wanting to meet your heroes, but in this case, my hero could not have been 
a more amazing person, which um, which makes it makes him even of a bigger artist because you'd think someone of that caliber could afford to be an asshole and could afford to be uh, very difficult. And instead, you know, he was he was just uh, a, a piece of, uh, of of he was a cannoli. He he was a a piece of pie. He was a cannolo. Tell me a bit about being on the set and watching Pacino say the dialogue that you've written. Oh man, uh, surreal, surreal. Because um, you know, I wrote the movie with basically no expectations. Um, Ridley had tried to make a movie about that story for the last 15 years. And my main point of contact really was with, with his wife and with, uh, with the president of his company, Kevin Walsh. And so Kevin and, and Janina were really sort of the, the people that were giving me that shot, you know, to write the script. Uh, but then when Ridley came into play, then I realized, okay, this, this could actually happen. Um, and then being on set and listening to these people, these incredible actors, um, not only recite the dialogue, but also really take it seriously. I mean, I know it sounds, uh, it's an obvious thing to say, but, but, um, the amount of work that goes into preparing for a film like that, you know, whether it's actors or, or costume designers or production designers is, is massive. And, um, I remember the first night I, I went to Rome, I got to the airport and got to the, um, uh, I got to the hotel where the production offices were and just walking around looking at all the, uh, you know, the storyboards and, and all the layouts for, for the film. I mean, I was, I wouldn't say I was overwhelmed like to tears or anything, but I was, yeah, it was a big moment for sure. But um, out of everybody, without a question, the actor that I remember thinking like, this is, this is just incredible. Um, it was, it was out listening to Al's voice, you know, having headphones on listening to Al's booming voice and, um, you know, and uh, yeah, that that was something I'll never forget. Almost an out-of-body experience. Sure, yeah. And also the fact that we shot it in COVID, in, pand- in the pandemic, and we were cocooned for a year and a half before that. And so, you know, it's like putting a, a dog in a crate and then all of a sudden, you know, you throw him in a, in a dog park. I mean, for me, I was like, you know, I was stuck in Colombia for a year. I went to a wedding in Bogota and I got stuck there during the pandemic. And, you know, we were developing the movie basically over Zoom during the pandemic. And so that contrast of going from such a uh, disconnected environment to suddenly being in the most connected environment, which is a film set, um, was, was was quite surreal. And of course, you know, we the the whole masking and everything was was in place so that part of it was unfortunate because um you couldn't really do a lot of uh socializing you know even just as something as basic as having a, a smoke or a coffee with someone you know you had to you had to uh stay two meters apart and actually mark Huffam, the producer i, I thought hear his voice two meters he's irish two meters because I would, you know, I'm Italian and we like physical contact. So even something like lighting a cigarette for someone or, you know, you know, like I always got busted and he just sort of magically appear out of nowhere. He was amazing. Uh, you know, he would just sort of like uh, manifest 
to tell you that you had to stay two meters apart. Some of the best footage you must have seen this is when obviously Al was in Italy and he was leaving his hotel and the crowds would be around and he would turn up and he would just be waving at everybody. And as you said, it just felt completely alien considering what we'd been through. And he was clearly having a blast just walking out of yeah. the hotel. Yeah. Um, and and I feel that he's he's an actor, but in the best way. He's he's someone who uh, feeds off of, of uh, audiences and needs that uh, love and needs that that appreciation and um and i i remember you know it was his birthday one day on set and um they brought him a cake and they were just he, he got very emotional you know and uh you could tell that he he just has this desire to to connect with people and um you know one, one thing i'll just tell you something very quickly that i thought was amazing was um he invited me to his house to have coffee after the film was over and, you know, I was, uh, at the time I was in Solvang, which is a Danish town in California. I was with my girlfriend at the time and I didn't know what to bring him. So I, I brought some Danish pastries because it's a Danish town. You know, it's like this weird place. It's like a slice of, Dan of Denmark in the middle of California. So I had all these like Danish pastries and, and I got to the house and, you know, in my mind, I was like, who does Al Pacino hang out with? You know, like, <laughs> who's going to be there, man? Like, you know, is it going to be like some crazy, some crazy group of insane icons? And uh, what was even more impressive uh, was that there was a couple of people there, probably like three or four. And they were all friends of his from his New York days from the 60s. Uh, maybe, maybe 70s, but we're talking very old friends, you know. Um, and unfortunately, one of them actually passed away. Um, but he was, um, he was a theater director. And I actually saw a play that he directed with Al in it, where Al played Tennessee Williams. Uh, I saw it in Pasadena. And it was very funny because when I put that together, you know, talking to the gentleman, he said, I'm a theater director. And I directed Al in this play a couple of years ago. I said, oh, my God, I saw that. I thought that was really cool. He couldn't believe, A, he couldn't believe that I saw it. And B, he couldn't believe that I thought it was cool. Because <laughs> <laughs> I guess the reviews were not very good. Um, but, but the point is that, you know, he had these really old friends that he still kept in touch with and that he still had uh, a relationship with. And I thought that spoke a lot to, you know, to his yeah, I mean, his, his uh, character and, and, you know, I think a lot of people just kind of get lost in fame and, um, and uh, yeah, I thought that was really cool. He's the type of guy who seems to just walk around the streets. We've seen loads of footage of that many times where he's just wandered the streets and you think, well, is anybody going to mob him or anything else like that? But they don't. They don't at all. He just seems yeah. quite casual about everything. I think the the guy who mobbed him the most was uh, Salt Bay, <laughs> the 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 Turkish chef with the with the, you know the salt thing, yeah. the, the chef. Um, there, there's a very funny uh, there's YouTube footage of of him going, "My Godfather," you know, and like kissing his ring or something. But um, no, I think you're right. I think he uh, he knows who he is. He knows obviously. <laughs> he said to me at one point. He said, "You know." Roberto, there was a moment in my career where I, I could have played the Queen of England. <laughs> Literally, like they were giving him 
every role under the sun. I wanted to go back, going back a little bit more on House of Gucci, and obviously, you're it's it's been given the green light. You're working with Ridley, and then the names start to come in of who mm-hmm. is going to play the parts. What's going through your mind when you start hearing these these, these massive names? Well, I think um, it was really funny because I thought of Lady Gaga when I wrote the film. Um, she was definitely, yeah, 100%. She was definitely my North Star for that role. Um, so whether you believe in these things or not, I, I definitely um, had a, a vibe and a feeling that, that that's the person that was going to play the role. Um, and it took a long time to get a hold of her. I remember we were sort of waiting around for a couple of months, maybe even more, like three or four months, um, just because she was on tour and she was figuring out some stuff work-wise and she just didn't react as quickly as, as we thought she would. Um, but then when, you know, when that call came in, it was, uh, you know, sort of like a snowball effect because then everybody else, you know, Adam Driver and um, Jared Leto, I think, uh, yeah, I mean, the nice thing about it was I actually had, um, they, they sort of let me share my ideas and thoughts on the cast and um, you know, whether, whether, whether those ideas were incorporated or not is really, uh, you know, irrelevant. The fact that they were open to listening to me, I thought was really nice. But um, the, uh, there was a moment where Robert De Niro was going to play the Jeremy Irons role, um, which would have been really interesting, but he, he ultimately didn't do the movie because of, um, I can't remember what it was. I think it was scheduling. Um, and then, um, well, yeah, I mean, Salma was was always a, a, a great idea, also because of her relationship with the brand. And, um, but yeah, all of those guys, I mean, they were just, I think they themselves were so excited and proud to be in each other's company, which makes makes everything a lot more fun, you know? So, the fact that Jared knew that his dad was going to be played by Al Pacino um, just, you know, really kind of ignited ignited his um, his enthusiasm. And um, I think Lady Gaga really wanted to work with Adam Driver. That was sort of a thing that she really wanted to do um, to the point where I'm pretty sure she would not have done the film without him. Oh. Um, and, uh, yeah, no, it was a very... Uh, once everybody got on board, then it sort of just became a, ma- a matter of, um, li- like anything. I mean, it, it was my first film, but at the end of the day, the process is, is very similar, whether you're doing a, a student film or a $100 million film. It's, you know, sitting down and talking about the script and making changes along the way and, you know, um, sort of doing a dance with, with the other collaborators about about what they want and what you want, and, you know. That was going to be my next question is, you know, how much were you rewriting while you were on set? There were definitely a few things. Um, there was a couple of lines here and there that I that I wrote um, that uh, there was a line. I thought it was a really nice line when Jared says, I can finally soar like a pigeon. <laughs> you know, because he's obsessed with pigeons. Um, and then, you know, there was a couple of cuts that we made. Um, we had to sort of move some scenes around, uh, move locations, but um, 
generally speaking, it was it was more kind of explaining some of the scenes to the uh, either the crew or the, or sometimes the act the actor would would sort of call me in to to ask me like you know there was another version here that um, of this because there was a lot of drafts so sometimes you know I remember like Salma asking me like what was that great line you wrote like 45 drafts ago and <laughs> I was like I have no idea you know but at the end of the day it was really it was really just Ridley letting me in on the process you know I don't think I really needed to be there I don't think it was necessary but I think he's such a great um you know he's a really lovely person and, and I think he just knew on an emotional level that this was going to be a big deal for me and he wanted me to to be there you know um so I thought that was amazing but um you also have to know your place like I said originally you have to know that it's Ridley's movie he's the director if he comes to you with questions you give him the questions um, you know, if the script supervisor was asking me something, then of course, like I could have direct communication with people, but, but the idea of going up to Al or Adam or Lady Gaga with ideas or notes, I mean, that was never even, you know, I never even considered it. And, um, you know, I think Jared was the one who was the most kind of, he would, he would look for me, he would find me and he would ask me like, you know, what do you think of this? What do you think of that? And you know, I had to be very that sort of be mindful um, that uh, at the end of the day, it is one man's film. At least that's how Ridley sees it. And I think that's the right way to, to think of it because otherwise everybody starts throwing ideas at you and you get lost in the woods, you know? I mean, you can't give notes to the Godfather. You just can't. No, no, you can't. Um, I think most actors, well, actually him and Ridley had a very open dialogue. I think, um, you know, the whole thing is that Ridley really let them improvise. And obviously the script was in stone, everything was set, but but whether it was just kind of riffing on a line of dialogue or or an idea um, and not being so uh, strict with, with the script, with the dialogue, which I think gave the movie a real kind of bounce. Um, so yeah, I think with Al, that was a big surprise to me because I didn't think that there would be that much improvisation and that much kind of freedom, um, which is really cool, you know, because it's like it meant that the script obviously inspired him to, to riff. I was going to say, did, did you feel like that made it better than what you had already written in that they were going off book, but actually making it, you know, hit harder with some of the lines or, or, or be more entertaining with some of it? I don't know, because... I think almost everything I wrote, well, there was definitely some cuts that were made, but I think that the, they did perform the script as written and then they added some of their own uh, layers. So I, I, I didn't think, it's not like, I thought, you know, they'd taken my words and wrecked them. I mean, I, you know, <laughs> um, uh, that would be very arrogant of me anyway, but it was more like, um, you know, like that great line, Father, Son, House of Gucci, that was Lady Gaga's improv completely improv like I did not write that line um you know but then there was a lot of moments a lot of lines that they delivered you know when she says um I don't consider myself a particularly ethical person but I am fair and then she does a little thing with the espresso cup like 
little moments like that. I mean, that was not improvised, but you know, the beat where she hits the coffee cup. I mean, it just, you know, like I said, it's like a dance. It's like you, um, you know, you bring something to the table and then hopefully the other people bring something else and, and you're all kind of, you know, adding new color to the, to the palette, you know? I want to move on to obviously after the, the so the film's finished and it's it's ready to come out, but it's coming out at this kind of weird time where we're sort of coming out of COVID, but sort of not. What what was the feeling within, well, with yourself and Ridley as to how this was going to play out on the big screen, you know, in theatres around the world? Was it kind of, it was it always going to be on the big screen or was there a choice of it going to stream in? And, and what was the sort of reaction of, should we be releasing it now? Yeah, it was always going to be on the big screen. And actually, that was a huge decision on Ridley's part because they had many offers from streamers. And he absolutely turned them all down and said, I want this to be a movie on the big screen. Um, and, uh, and you know, that's why they went with MGM. It's, it's just, a, it's such a, a brand name and it's so synonymous with, with film the way that I grew up with it uh, and, you know, not to be too nostalgic or anything, but, but it is, it's a different thing. It's a different thing when you see a film in a movie theater and the line roars at you versus sitting on your couch, turning it on, on Netflix and, you know, the pizza arrives and you got to go to the bathroom and, you know, your, your mates are texting you. Um, I think that that experience is fine after the theatrical release. If you want to watch the movie again or, uh, you know, but or maybe maybe to have both options available, but but it is always very sad to me that there's films that only exist in that context, you know, um, because it's like it would be like saying instead of going to a museum and seeing a painting, a Mona Lisa, you you know, you're looking at the at the Google image of it. It's like it's just the whole experience is completely different, um, and so. Um, you know, the plan was definitely to go theatrical and it was definitely to do a Thanksgiving release. And and we really had no idea, or at least I didn't uh, have any idea how it was going to perform. And, you know, because you've got the double whammy of COVID and then you've also got the other thing of people don't go to the movies anymore, right? Not as much as they used to. And there are, you know, there's definitely unicorn movies like uh tom cruise's uh maverick or um uh there was another movie that came out recently that was a huge financial success but the point is you know a movie like this that's a drama or whatever you call it call it because there are definitely comedic elements for sure dramedy tragic comedy um you know a movie like this uh that's a long film made by uh, people that are trying to, you know, do real, <laughs> real work, <laughs> as opposed to, you know, sequel after sequel after sequel. Uh, it's sort of like, you know, we had everything stacked up against us, really. And uh, so I was very happy that that it hit the the zeitgeist the way that it did. It's it certainly seemed to take very nicely around the world. I've got a couple of questions left for you, Roberto, and I guess the, one of them is. Is there still a moment that you look back on when making this and have to pinch yourself about it? Yeah, um, 100%. The moment was when Ridley called me to tell me he was going to make this movie. Um, 
because the way that it played out was that um, they gave me the gig and it, you know, it's a gig, but it, it was really, it wasn't a gig because it was, you know, a movie about the city that I grew up in, the world that I grew up in, because my mom, my mom's in fashion. She's a fashion designer and a story that I knew very, very well because I grew up with it as a kid. So it, it wasn't like I was going off on a, on a wild goose chase trying to connect with, with the story. Um, but basically the first thing that I did when they, when they contracted me to write the script was I wrote a treatment and the treatment was very long. It was 25 pages long and it had every sort of moment in the story. And I sent it to Janina Ridley's wife and Ridley called me to tell me to sort of go over it with me and to tell me this is really good here. This is really good there. This is working. This needs work. And so that was a very important call because I realized I have his ear. I have like, it's on me now. He's going to read the script. He's, he's, he's engaging, you know, it's not a shot in the dark. And so I went off and I wrote the script in about three months and I sent it. And then there was like a two or three week lag after I sent the script where nobody called me, nobody replied. So obviously I thought that's it. I tried, I failed onto the next one. And, uh, and then I got that call from Ridley and, you know, he said, Roberto, you fucking nailed it. You know, and I got goosebumps. Um, he said, you fucking nailed it. He said, uh, where are you right now? I said, I'm in Brooklyn. He said, okay, well, you, you got to come to Los Angeles. We're doing a table read this week. And, um, and I want it to be my next film. And so, you know, he dropped out of another film to do it. And it was, it was amazing. I mean, look, I worship at the altar of Blade Runner. It's my favorite film. Barry Lyndon, Taxi Driver, Back to the Future, <laughs> the, the Leopard, and, and Blade Runner. Those are sort of my, my top five films. And so, um, you know, to have that man that I, you know, that, that really kind of uh, inspired me as a kid and have that person pick my script and, and devote so much time and, and artistry to it. Yeah, of course, I'll always be very grateful. You just told us there your fa five favorite films of all time. I want to know what your favorite Al Pacino movie is. Wow, that's a great question. Gosh, I think um, there's so many. There's so many. Um, I could watch Scarface <laughs> 5,000 times and never get bored. Um, I adore that movie so much. It's such, it's so extreme and it's so big. And I love big movies. I love bold choices, you know. Um, and it's funny because when Lady Gaga was nominated for an Oscar, I thought of the greatest performances of all time that never got any Oscar love, right? And they tend to be very big. They tend to be bombastic performances that are almost too much to handle. Um, and Scarface is definitely up there. The other one I was thinking of was Jack Nicholson in, in The Shining. Um, and there's, there's a bunch of really great ones. But um, I would say Scarface, of course, if we're talking movie, if we're talking overall film, I mean, I would say The Godfather. You know, it's, it's, uh, it's the greatest, probably the greatest movie ever. Um, and I do love Carlito's Way. I think in terms of like subtle subtlety and... Uh, I think that is a an incredible performance. 
Um, and uh, yeah, those those are those are my the, the ones that I would go to immediately if you ask me like what do I want to watch. I'll say those three. You, you've told me Scarface is your favorite, but you've still you've nominated three movies there, and I imagine after we finish talking, you'll go, oh, I should have mentioned. Dog Day Afternoon or Serpico or Scent yeah. of a Woman. Yeah, I, I think that's the problem, isn't it? Is that suddenly you go into the entire filmography and you can pick out 10, 20 movies that you would be happy to watch. Well, and the, the other thing is he's a he, he has great taste. You know, like when you look at his filmography, um, sure, there's a couple of duds here and there, but generally speaking, he's in really, really good films. And even the not so good ones are very interesting, and he's always good in them. And uh, you can't say that a lot of, about a lot of, of legends. You know, I think uh, there's a lot of cases of people hitting a a peak, and then either they they lose them lose interest, or they just you know want the paychecks. But like I told you earlier, I just think he's he's an actor. You know, you can put him on a stage in Pasadena performing Tennessee Williams. Or you can put him in a hundred million dollar movie playing Aldo Gucci, and it's that same boyish curiosity and and intelligence and you know creativity. That was Roberto Bentivenia talking about writing House of Gucci. And he makes a good point right at the end there about Pacino just wanting to act, no matter what the film, TV show or stage production is. He does just want to act. So hopefully we get to see him continue to act for many years to come. My thanks to Roberto for coming on the podcast and discussing all things House of Gucci. He's a very busy man, so uh, getting time with him was greatly appreciated. I hope you enjoy this episode. If you have any feedback, then please do get in touch. You can find me on X, aka Twitter, on Instagram and on Blue Sky, or you can contact me via my website, MarkSearby.com. If you enjoyed this episode, then please don't forget to subscribe to the podcast for all future episodes. And also a reminder that you can get previous episodes from all your favourite podcast places. So until next time. Mm -hmm.